Wait for it, wait for it, and we're live. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Mr. Rob Howell, introduce himself to our viewing and listening audience. Hey, first of all, thanks for having me. And, and you know, I really think I need to get you to be my hype man, or at least my my descriptor guy, because, you know, on this, on the podcast, you have described me as Rob Howell, anachronistic guru of the fantastical. And I don't know if I can improve upon that. You know, I I, I write fantasy. I, I do medieval reenactment. Uh, I write science fiction. And uh, I do a lot of fun things like that. But I like anachronistic guru of the fantastical. So I, I may incorporate that in all my publicity going forward. I, I may what's not. The, I'm also lazy. Yeah. So there's the, uh, what's that one show about uh, Knight's Tale that they did, the modern version of it, where the guy goes out front and he's like screaming off. Like I was going for that because I knew you did the SCA. And I was yeah, just trying to be as uh, as possible. Yeah, that's uh, Paul Bettany uh, doing the Herald. And in fact, in, in the SCA, I'm often known for doing that heraldic stuff. Very similar oh, that's to that. fun. I didn't know that part. I just knew you were a merchant in the SCA. Yeah, I was, I've just come back from Penzik, which is the big SCA event. If you're in the SCA, that was like, duh. But if you're not, it's uh, held in Pennsylvania and it's... Uh, it was like uh, 11,000 people there this year and um, all crammed into a couple square miles of, of Pennsylvania uh, woods. And it's really a neat thing. It, it, it's kind of everything that could be done in that in that sort of reenactment context. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, but apparently they frown on it if you load real arrows into your bow and arrow for the scenes, the combat stuff. like. Well, they do frown on you shooting at other people with real arrows, but there is actually an archery range where you can shoot arrows at targets and not get frowned upon. Uh, there was an incident once where somebody put like a, a Barbie doll head on top of an arrow, a real live arrow, and then shot it at uh, um, thinking it would be safe and then shot it at people and it it was impacted into something. I can't remember what it was. Uh, that's what I recall. But, and, and that could be a totally apocryphal story, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, when I'm doing the fighting thing, which I love, and, and if you want a, a nice fun way to get some adrenaline going, having 700 people rushing at you with uh, weapons does that. I suspect you guys may know that better than I do uh, for, for reals. Cause you know, those weapons are, are sticks as opposed to, you know, some of the things you guys might've faced. But uh, I, yeah, there's definitely a pucker factor, even if it's like LARP stuff. Yeah. I used to go to do that with my little brother and I was like, oh man, I've been, I'm a combat vet. I can do this. But over there, when I was doing it for real, I had a rifle, I had range, I had distance. And here I am with a foam sword and a foam shield. And I'm like, oh man, I just hope I don't hurt anybody for real. <laughs> well, yeah, you think about that too, but you know. You're also thinking it's much more formation fighting, so you got to worry about where your feet is compared to your. Got to stay next to your buddy because your your shields guarding him and his shields guarding you, and and it's 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 really kind of a neat perspective on things. It's something I do use in my writing. Um, a lot of my fight scenes when I'm doing sword combat is is me going through the 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 training that I've gotten, which I'm not terribly good at it, but I but I've got 
a good idea of the theory and the angles. And so when I'm writing a fight scene, I'm often, all right, so the, the foot would go here and then the, the elbow would do this. And, and then this is how the angle of the shot would go in. And then this would be the way that would be blocked and, and all of these things. And I write that in my first draft. And then I cut the vast majority of it out because you guys readers don't want to see all that. But some of that stuff is kind of cool. Some of that technical stuff is kind of cool. And in fact, when I, I first wrote um, A Lake Most Deep, my first novel, um, I actually had a guy who was, re who was really good at the body mechanics basically double check it so that anybody who done who's done medieval martial arts could go, yeah, that that's right. I mean, he's cutting out a whole bunch of it, but that what's there fits. And because that was important to me. So I will say that I've read several of your, your works uh, short and long, and you definitely pass the Barbie test, which is what I call it. A lot of people will write. And if you follow the action as they describe it and you try to maneuver like an action figure, Barbie, whatever along just, I do it mentally in my head. I don't actually have Barbies. I'm not in the Navy, but uh, if you start maneuvering it, you start realizing like, wait a minute, that's not physically possible unless he's capable of detaching his left leg, reaching around and like, cause they describe things that are just, not possible and they get lost in the sauce i think of writing the scene but they don't actually track where everyone is it's also very uh, a prominent issue if you've ever read any romance novels or stabby you know your harem stuff whatever we don't judge um i'm just saying bodies don't move that way uh and you don't have that problem when you write so that it does show thank you body well, bodies move that way when they come out of rigor <laughs> You know, I might touch on that here down the road here. We, you know, as we, but I just wanted to say, we, one of my favorite memories is I was riding at a bar in Kansas City uh, quite often, so often that I've actually, they actually put up a copy of my uh, cover over my chair. Um, that was my corner. That, you know, I'd go in and we'd have my corner and, and they knew what I wanted and everything like that. And every time I was talking about all of those things with the, the mechanics and everything, I'm doing this in my chair and I'm shifting and I'm, got all these things. I'm totally spazzing out as I'm trying, okay, where would I put the shield and sword would be like this and all these things. And, and I'm stretching out and I'm doing all these things. And of course the people next to me are going, what, what, what's up with the strange dude? <laughs> and the waitresses are like, Oh, he's just a writer. He's fine. <laughs> I love that place. The place is called brew bakers in Kansas city. If you ever get a chance, go to brew bakers. Uh, it's on 95th and Renner. Not that that, you know, tells anybody who's from not from Kansas City at all where that might be. But it really is a nice place. They, they treat people well. Okay. So uh, in the pre-show, you mentioned that you had uh, something going on with your Patreon that you've been doing. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to write poetry. I started writing poetry before I started writing prose. And in the medieval reenactment side of things, I... Um, got into all, a lot of this because I like um, Anglo-Saxon poetry, uh, Beowulf and uh, the Wanderer and the Seafarer and, and all this great poetry that, that in the Exeter book and other places, it's fantastic. It's full of just these vibrant Im images and wonderful energy. It's really neat stuff. And um, so I started writing that stuff because I wanted to emulate it. And then in the extra book, which is a big collection of Anglo-Saxon poetry and prose, there are a bunch of riddles. There are 80 some riddles in there and it's actually a really neat corpus of riddles. And, and what's, what's really challenging is none of the answers are there. Um, and 
so it's been fascinating for academics to figure out what all these riddles mean. And, and, and some of them are quite juicy and some of them are really odd. Um, one riddle in, in particular, the only way we know the answer, and, and, I'll, and I'll, I don't remember it verbatim, but it goes something like this. I have one eye and two ears and a nose and a mouth. Um, oh, excuse me, one eye, a nose, a mouth, and a thousand ears and two arms and two legs. What am I? And like nobody ever knew the answer, but it turns out there's a Roman version of that riddle written down in like Hungary or something like that. And the answer is a one-eyed seller of garlic. Because, of course, that's what comes off the tongue. And so, uh, yes, one eye and a thousand ears. There's your clue. So I love those riddles. And so I started writing some long before I started writing any prose. And I thought, you know, it might be fun. There might be other people who are interested. And so I'd like to read you a riddle and see if you guys can guess it. Okay. Um, love have I waged. War have I wooed. But first I'm fast. Faded to fiery tale. I was more than less than beyond counting. I am at your feet and over your head. Rings I've been given for great journeys. Give today's answer inspired by lowest humor. Is it a graveyard? Nope. Like Love have I waged, war have I wooed, but first I'm fast, faded to fiery tale. I was more, then less, then beyond counting. I am at your feet and over your head. Rings I've been given for great journeys. Give today's answer inspired by lowest humor. I got nothing. Is it a penis? No. Air? Yeah, I don't know where you came up with that one. She's just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks, like spaghetti. What you do with your penis is entirely up to you. I wouldn't throw it at a wall, though. <laughs> no, I learned that lesson twice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if you, we obviously don't know the answer. If you don't know the answer yet, you can uh, enter it if you think you got it into the comment section, and he will tell us the answer to that at the end of the episode. But uh, it's been 200 and something episodes since you've been on because you were episode 73, and our new audience over there on Rumble and BitChute can't access those. So we got to ask you the religion question, sir. Are you ready for this? Uh, one, one thing before you, you uh, go on. Can they do comments while the show is going on um, when it's when it's being broadcast? No, it'll be static for them. It's not going to be doing it as like a premiere oh, okay. or anything. Okay, I was going to say if they if they could answer during the show, I'd give them a free book. But uh, since I'm going to give I, out, I have no way, to, no way to vet that. Nah, sorry. Okay, yes, let's let's get into you know religion because that never ends poorly. No, not at all. Star Wars, Star <laughs> Trek, or Firefly. Firefly. Okay, that's an acceptable answer. Although now, now, now understand, I I <laughs> opening weekend for Star Wars. I got drugged to Star Wars. I didn't want to go because I didn't like science fiction. I was into fantasy at the time, but my parents were like, "We like science fiction. We're going." So they took me, and I watched it twenty times that first week. 
Um, there was a theater in uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, where you could, once you paid your ticket, you could watch it as many times as you wanted during the same day. And literally, Star Wars was one week's worth of babysitter for me that I, I literally went to that and watched it over and over again. So I loved Star Wars when it came out. And I and the, the opening, the first trilogy is just amazing. Um, things changed. So when you first said you watched it 20 times that first week, I was like, oh, I didn't know your parents were rich. And now we understand how. <laughs> of course, yeah, they it cost them. It, it it was two dollars a ticket for the whole day so that was like five five times and they gave me a little bit of money for a coke but the the people there at that because i i did that quite often with like the jungle book and uh, the apple blossom gang and, and other movies that were out at the time and uh the 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 people there knew me and they're like here here kid had take the old popcorn so i they and i Probably wasn't the best for diet, but it was sure cheap for my parents, get, relatively speaking. Yeah. All right. And because we're polytheistic, Game of Thrones, The Wheel of Time, or Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings. It's easy choice. Um, Game of Thrones, I find... Um, I kind of find it boring because it, it's it's playing to the worst of humanity and... I think what I love about Lord of the Rings is you get Samwise stepping up and being the best of humanity, pushing against the darkness along with Frodo. And, and I like it where there's both. As for the Wheel of Time, I, as a reader, have to have some sort of periodic conclusion, some sort of periodic ending to a, a story arc. Um, David Eddings is a perfect sort of counterexample to Wheel of Time because, yes, the Belgariad and the Malorian are the same story twice. I mean, and they even he even talks about it in the in the books. It's the same story twice. But after the first five books, you get a conclusion. You get a good guy winning or and you get something pretty powerful. And then after the, the second five, you get the same thing again. I want to see char characters have a chance to to defeat that big bad guy. And when I was reading The Wheel of Time, the writing was was good, and I liked the characters, but I I just it seemed aimless. Um, and uh, so I stopped stopped reading them somewhere along the way. Um, and so when the the TV show came out, I wasn't I wasn't ecstatic about. It. But I read Lord of the Rings first uh, 75, 76, somewhere around the time I was like before I saw Star Wars because I was big Lord of the Rings guy and that's why I didn't want to go to Star Wars because I, I was all in fantasy, right? And and so Lord of the Rings has been, Lord of the Rings um, is one of the reasons I got into old English poetry and went back to grad school to be a medieval scholar of, of Anglo-Saxon England. Um, my um, area of interest was 10th century Mercia and a lot of that is just right smack dab in, in what he was doing professionally and then also with Rohan and uh, so Lord of the Rings is sort of my foundational thing in in all of my fantasy so did you read the um, Saxon Sonic Chronicles by Bernard Shaw I think it is Bernard Cornwell I think Cornwell, there you go. yeah I've read some of them and because that is exactly the time period 
Yeah. Unfortunately, this is one of those instances where I struggle to to do my disbelief. Um, I love the Sharp novels. Um, what little I know about the Peninsular War is, I mean, I probably know more than most because I'm a historian and, and dig into things. But there's a level of knowing about Ethelfled and Edward the Elder and the politics that are going on there and, and all of the... the in, what's going on on the Danish side that I have too much experience for. And when he does those things that he thinks makes a good story, I'm like, well, wait, what about this other, you, you had this other, and I find it hard to get out of that, honestly. Uh, and it's a shame because his Archer series is brilliant. I mean, and, and probably the writing is brilliant. I just, I'm surprisingly the wrong audience for that. Did you uh, ever watch this TV series too? A little. Um, I'm not really good at watching TV series, just in general. Okay, I, I binged the uh, the thing. Um, you have to accept <clears throat> from that era, in order to write the histories. Now we do know, you know, because Alfred recorded all of his stuff, kind of pedantically. Even we do know some, but there are things about dialogue that they're just guessing. Oh, absolutely. And we know he's going to lie because he's trying to his own image so it's always going to be in his favor and so you you i just go into that with enough suspension of disbelief that i'm like it's like history ish you know with heavy weight on the ish um and so i can enjoy it i can turn it off uh i get like that with the colonial period because that's what my my master's degree was in colonial american history so i can see how if you get too close to it you're like oh no i've read that guy's writing he's a jerk not even yeah it's just that you know you're you're like okay i know i i've read everything that's ever been written in old english or at least had up up to what was what been discovered in 2005 there's really not that much honestly it all fits on a single cd and when you think about a corpus of an entire language that's really not that much um and a lot of it is 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 uh completely unrelated to the 10th century uh to be honest um uh and and everything every bit of study about that is is being extrapolated from a, a variety of different sources my dissertation focused on um population size whether the population of mercia under ethelflaed was big enough to support the law code the law code specified certain numbers of troops in various different areas within uh, mercia so like Gloucester and Worcester and, and places like that. Um, and if, um, uh, if there, you know, they set a number, this is how many troops we're going to have here. Well, is there enough population to put the populate to that number to be under say 5% of the population, which is still a huge number for defense, even for that time. Anyway, I realized that this is kind of esoteric, boring stuff, but a lot of the ways I was doing that is stuff that we can only, that were, that was only an emphasis when I was really starting it. Stuff like LIDAR mapping for farms, which is oh, yeah. surprisingly fascinating and, and really an interesting way to, to learn population sizes and, and stuff like that. So I, I, I get distracted. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, probably, I was I was joking with him in the side comments that probably only Declan, you and I are going to enjoy this conversation, uh, which is yeah. why they normally are here to pull the hook and, and pull me back. I will say the LIDAR has changed things. They found entire lost uh, Aztec and Mayan cities that the jungle had swallowed yes. because they did a LIDAR. 
And I mean, that's just, that's, that's changed the game of history. It really um, has. I got interested in the old stuff, like, cause I was curious how far back you could go as a modern uh, English speaker and still be understood. Uh, so I started doing, that's what started me on some of those research. Cause of, it's cool to think to go back and fight with the, the Saxons against the Vikings or whatever, but you'd have to know a completely new language, right? So the Saxons anyway. and the Vikings could make more sense of each other than we could of uh, the Saxons. But if and you give us an M16, you know, Nick and I could make them understand real quick. You know, <laughs> uh, those, those, sort of, those types of negotiations happen quite often. It's not like the Celtic language being spoken by the Welsh uh, and, and the Scots um, was... was. Uh, so I actually have a conspiracy theory on the Welsh language. I don't think it's real. I think it's all a sham that means nothing. It's just gibberish they spout when English and Scots are by to, like, mess with them. And they probably speak like Mary Poppins proper English. They just don't want us to know. So gibberish with an accent? Yes. It's all, it's an all like how many consonants and vowels can I slam together in this like inane pattern? And if you get the Welsh hate mail, send it to Stabby over at uh, the Twitters. She'll, she'll answer you. Uh, but yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that it's it's a giant con. And they've been it's doing like, it so long. It's like, they can't still believe this, right? Right? Nah. It's like talking to someone from Essex. You're not going <laughs> to understand it. Two people separated by a common language. That's totally true. Oh, that's totally true. Um, I will say that the worst to me are the 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 dialects up in the north, uh, like the Geordie dialect or the Nor Yorkshire dialect. When I was up there talking to people up there, I mean, it's really I, I just couldn't couldn't comprehend where all the words were, and it was English, right? Like you, if you put it down on a piece of paper, I could have absolutely read it and been fine. But the but the the dialectal shift there is pretty. Um, uh, impressive. Yeah. Uh, as for the, as for Wales, when I did a, I actually did a walk along the border of Wales and England. There's a trail, the Office Dyke Trail, uh, that goes from uh, Chepstow in the south to Prestoughton in the north, and it's really a beautiful thing to if you ever get a chance to do it. Um, but yeah, uh, I I learned a little Welsh along the way, um, so. So, Nick, I know the Rangers used to do some training ops in England in honor of the, the World War II 2.2 Hawk stuff. Did you get yeah. to participate in any of that? Um, I got to participate in Point Two Hawk. It wasn't an anniversary or anything. It's just been a while since Second Ranger Town had been there. And this is all pre-9-11. Now we're there every year. Um, so you get to do the climb, which uh, is horrible, by the way. I, can, I can't imagine doing it under gunfire. Yeah. And did you have modern gear or old stuff that they used? Because I've seen them reenact it. We had no. We wore modern kit, so we wore the uh, the RBA, the Ranger body armor, which had steel plates instead of Kevlar. Right. I was just thinking about the safety equipment. I mean, no, we we used modern safety equipment. So we had our our riggings and our carabiners and and modern ropes and all that stuff, the nylon stuff. Um, so I guess we were technically cheating, but it was still hard. Yeah. Know? Well, so, even the guys that wanted to do the ladder climb, because we did bring ladders onto that beach, they were still rigged up to safety equipment just in case they fell. Yeah. Did you uh, did you land on a um, this, the appropriate boat, or is it modern modern watercraft? We didn't do, like, the full trek from England to Normandy. Right. Um, we – it's going to sound lame. We fast-roped fast roped onto a Navy vessel, one of their uh, – 
they're like kind of like Russian nesting dolls. So it's a landing craft with many landing crafts in there. So, <laughs> I'm familiar. So it's like so that, and we went below decks, and we got in there. I got to watch the uh, the whole like flood, so we could get out. I, that was really cool. And then uh, I think we we were like ten miles out, so it really yeah. wasn't that bad. Um, I definitely got to see in who in my platoon was seasick. So, <laughs> do you remember what? You remember what uh, landing craft you were on? My stepdad was on those for years. The Gator Freighters. Uh, I, I don't. I don't recall. I mean, we're talking. Man, it's like almost thirty years. Don't so, you lie? It hasn't been that long. We're not that old. Yeah, my I'm running out of hard drive space, bro. Like I have to write. <laughs> I've taken more notes now at forty five than I did at fifteen. Oh, you're so, right, so at that age. So, Rob, yeah, before we, before you tell us about your move and your new bookstore, we have to ask you the new religion question. Are you ready for this? All right. Coffee or tea? Tea, um, I guess. I'm not really – see, I love coffee and ice cream, and my wife is a huge coffee drinker. Um, but I don't I'll, – I'll be most uh, – I'll be honest. Most of my caffeine comes from five-hour energies. I drink okay. water and five-hour energies, and and that's how I that's how I get my caffeine. I like iced tea on occasion, and I have an iced tea maker. And every once in a while, I go through a binge and making myself a bunch of iced tea. But but no, I, I get myself breakfast, and then I have a five-hour energy, and that that's 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 my morning ritual. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, with my breakfast, it's a monster, and it's only ten calories, which I enjoy, and it tastes like a carbonated orange juice. Oh, yeah, which. It was delicious for it. Why did stealing one of Stabby's lines? Why does this work? <laughs> That's so, a good question. <laughs> I was eating like a, a ham and cheese biscuit that I made at home this morning, and I had the the monster. I was like, "What? Why does this work?" It was refreshing. I felt like I was having orange juice. I've never had a monster. Red Bulls were big when we were there in the early war. And yeah. I could never – they always made me feel sick. Which I, is I why actually I like the, Red Bull. That's why we did the uh, the uh, Folgers dip in the under the gums because I couldn't drink the yeah. Red Bull. It made me sick. Amateur. You got to do the real dip. Then if you really want to get crazy with it, you put Tabasco in the dip so you get a little, little, little kick. No, so we did the Folgers dip while we were smoking the Cuban cigars that we'd buy at the bazaar. Okay, rub it in because you had access to Cubans. <laughs> so I so mean, they told us they were Cubans, but I mean, it's not like I checked. They were just Cubans or Honduran. Yeah, probably, <laughs> but they were good, and I didn't care. I remember <laughs> yeah, the we Honduran had this, really good. We had this vegan chick that worked in supply at uh, Biop when we were passing through, and so she's coming to give us the equipment we had to sign for. Uh, and she's one of those, well, actually types, you've, you've met them in any bureaucracy. And she had the nerve to tell us as we're all smoking our cigars, you know, some of the guys are praying, whatever, while we're waiting for the green light to mount up and go down route Irish. So if you know, you know, she's like, you know, those cigars are going to kill you one day. And I'm like, uh, hello, Irish. And then she tried to say we were being racist against the Irish. And I'm like, well, then talk to the army. They named that road. Yeah, we're, tell her about Route Red Wings. Let her get freaked out about that one. Uh, thankfully, the first sergeant for the uh, for the the receiving unit um, was riding with us because we didn't want to sign everything over so many times. And you know, the rocker and the little dime that has a way of making people go away when you get them mad. So we didn't have to deal with that very long. 
Nancy Pelosi didn't like it when I uh, pulled my charging handle. I didn't have a mag in there. I was just over there. I was always worried that I was carrying around in like, you know, uh, green areas, you know. So she's talking to me. I'm not listening because whatever. She's a politician. I'm not a big fan of those. I'm like a Jedi. You know, it's like uh, politicians do their thing. Let me do mine. And she's like mid-conversation. She's got food in her mouth because we're at the defect. And I'm just like, oh. And she's like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think I told you the only two people I escorted. We did um historian who was um, recording history in action for the uh, U.S. Army Department of Transportation Museum. Um, he was the historian on site. So we escorted him because I had the history degree. So they're like, oh, you two will like each other. The guy was from New Jersey. Nobody liked him. Sorry. Um, they sent me to have dinner with Nancy Pelosi as a joke. My battalion commander thought it would be funny with my political <laughs> affiliations and hers. And she's like, oh, you guys are both from California. I hooked you up with a dinner. I'm like, why would you do that, sir? Why would you do that? You're like, so I, I thought it would be funny. So we had a chaplain that I ended up accidentally getting relieved because we posed for pictures with him behind the 50. I didn't realize he wasn't allowed to do that. And he was so cherry that he's just like, oh, I'm going to take a picture with the troops. Oops. You know, that little Geneva convention. What do they know? So. Yeah, I would never have thought of it, too. But I guess when you say Geneva convention, no, that makes perfect sense. The chaplains can't can't do that. Otherwise, they lose their protected status. Uh, I mean, there were some other behind the scenes stuff that his personal business that I know that I won't put out was, I think that was just the ruse to get him home to deal with some stuff. But I still wouldn't, I mean, it was a legitimate one. It wasn't like they were pulling stuff out of their backside. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So the historian and the chaplain, and I got to meet Stuart Smalley and that's about the extent of it, but he was there before he was a politician. And for all, everybody hates on him because of the Leanne Tweeden stuff and all the, the politics since he got home. When a lot of politicians were avoiding the war, he signed up to come on a USO tour and he went through all the hot spots. Can't ever take that away from him. And he, uh, we had actually, they weren't going to let us into the show because we had um, bodily fluids on us. Um, that um, Yeah, so they were like, oh, you're unsanitary. Because we had, we had had a firefight and, you know, when, you're, when you carry the combat lifesaver bag, sometimes you get dirty. Um, and they weren't gonna let us in and he was at the door smoking dude was like lighting up like it was going out of style like he lit one cigarette with another it sounded <laughs> like it, it sounded like a bad joke you were about to tell so I was laughing before the punchline <laughs> no, no. so he, he got us all backstage because they weren't gonna let us in and then when it was done we went to the uh, the green bean he bought us a coffee some of the best coffee I ever had was that green bean coffee that day maybe it's because I didn't die that morning that made it taste better I don't know and he bought us a pizza and I'm gonna tell you how all politician pizza is and disgusting. the chaplain walk into a room yeah <laughs> But halal pizza, not so good. I mean, if it's all you can have, it's all you can have. But it wasn't the best. But it's a thought that counts. So anyway. It'll do in a pinch. It'll do in a pinch. Um, So you mentioned that you were moving. And and, uh, so what's this plan with this bookstore? Is it going to be called um, Jared Hanley is Awesome? Because that's a good name. (laughs) I'll put that into the hopper. Um, Okay. You know, um, put in the circly circled filing cabinet, if you will. Yeah, I'll put it into the. I'll give your suggestion the consideration it deserves. Um, no, um, so my wife has wanted to do a quilt store for a long time, and we stumbled on a huge building in Anthony, Kansas, and um, it's Anthony is about an hour away from Wichita, which is my hometown, and 
this building was one of those things that like everything worked. Like we, we offered a stupid lowball bid because we needed to make sure we had the capital to do the, the stores and they, they, they were going to say no, there's no way they'd say yes to this, but they, they said yes. And like, what's really wrong with this building and, and not, nothing that one couldn't expect from a 1920s era building. And, and we went to the bank and said, we got to do it this weird way that you don't do since all the housing stuff in 2011. And they're like, and the bank's like, sure, we'll do that. So they were really desperate to get rid of it, which suited us well. And it, it turns out it's two storefronts. So we, we were going to do a quilt shop and, and you guys will get a kick out of the, the store name. I'll mention that here in a moment, the quilt store name. Um, but I was like, well, I need an office. And we were talking about Penzik earlier. And the way I set up at Penzik is I set up with a computer and then I put out my books. And then if someone comes in and wants to buy books, I'm selling books, which great. And if they, if, if nobody's coming by, I'm sitting behind my computer typing words. And so either way, I'm productive and happy. Well, I thought, you know, the way to do it here is we've got the second storefront that doesn't really suit her. I've, I've now built an office area in the storefront. And then I have enough area to put, it's not the biggest bookstore in the world, but, um, you know, it's going to have a, a reasonable amount of shelves. And um, I thought, you know, that would be kind of neat. That way, if somebody comes in and wants to buy books, I'm selling books again. And and I'm going to have my books for sale anyway. And it turns out that um, I know some places that, that need to get rid of, uh, they literally just need to get rid of, of like, modern top seller best-selling books because they keep getting inundated with it um and so they're like here you want them i'm like yes and so um inventory costs won't be terribly high um i don't expect to sell a lot because anthony's a fairly small town but it's a really neat town um there's a good bar with good beer and good food a block and a half away i can stagger home from that a good pizza place, a good breakfast place, a good coffee shop right next to us, um, and uh, two grocery stores, a pharmacy across the street. Like everything's right here. Um, I, I, I walked over to to give my to get make an appointment to get my oil changed, and the guy says, uh, "Hopefully we can get to it tomorrow. It might be Friday." And I'm like, "Okay." I don't plan on using my car for the next three four days, or or don't plan to use it until the weekend because why? I've got groceries and. I got a bar and I could do all these things. Um, so we we came to Anthony and we found this place and we said, well, this actually seems like a pretty thriving downtown and there's this awesome building and we stumbled on it. So we got really lucky. And um, uh, the name we have chosen for the uh, quilt shop is E Pluribus Quiltum. Out of many, a quilt. I like it. Yep. Um, and, and we're going to, and, and our mascot is this little dragon that likes quilts called, his name is Excelsior, Excelsior Pluribus, which will be fun to have. So we're having a lot of fun with that. The bookstore name I've been kind of waffling on. The wife wants, you know, E Pluribus Bookum, but I, I know Latin too well to like out of many, a, a bunch of books. I, I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't flow the same way to me as E Pluribus Quiltum does. Um, but I'll figure something out. But yeah, we're you know, Dragon's Horde kind of boring. Every it seems like every other indie bookstore is Dragon's Horde or something like that. 
I don't know. Uh, the place we bought is a mortuary, and, and I, I thought about um, um, zombie books or something like that, because, uh, you know, we bring your books back from the dead and sell them uh, or something like that. Um, so it in this place is really interesting. By the way, does, do you guys need a coffin cart? I have boatloads of extra carts that got they put a coffin on and roll it around. I've got spares. Stabby <laughs> probably needs one for me. <laughs> so what was your question, Nick? Oh, because it sounds like a great town, like real small town feel, right? So yeah. if I was to visit the town of Anthony, is that what it's called? Anthony? Anthony, Kansas, yes. Anthony, Kansas. Where does a feller go, a weary traveler, for a good old-fashioned? Oh, the bar, bar can make them. Uh, although, old-fashioned's. Honestly, I have to say Nathan Bayet, uh, uh, but he's up in you know Detroit. Uh, do you guys know Nathan? No, I do oh. not. Uh, so Nathan is a, uh, a Marine. Um, he's actually my DM. He's a writer. I actually published his first story in Keen Edge of Valor. Um, and he is a guy who really makes great old fashions and, and delves into that stuff. Um, this place has bartenders that can make the standard mixed drinks. But they have a surprisingly good selection of beer. And since mostly what I drink is beer, um, I would say that the closest way a weary traveler could find an old fashioned would be, unfortunately, Wichita. I will tell you that there are actually some great bars in Wichita for that. Um, as I said, that's my hometown. So I know where all the the bodies or in this case, the old fashions are buried. So I can I can hook you up. But that's an hour away. Stabby, we're going to Wichita and Detroit. <laughs> I mean, okay. At least you're not drinking the booze traveler. That's me. Okay. If if you're willing to try the bar out, we are going to actually have. Um, we're turning a room in the in the place into an Airbnb, uh, and ultimately maybe more. We have a room that we have to by city, sort of by city zoning, turn into something of the Airbnb sort. Um, oh, nice. The the zoning is that we can do anything we want with the second level, residences, whatever. But the first level has to be business related. And okay. so an Airbnb, uh, we have a in, in the in the apartment area, there's a, a room in the on the ground floor. And we're going to turn that into an Airbnb because that way it's technically business related. Um, so there you go. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to try one at the bar. And then if I have too many, I'll just check in at the Airbnb. Yeah, exactly. So it's staggering. Right. It's I've always wanted to go. Did you ever watch that show Bar Rescue? Yeah. I've always wanted to try some. He did a speakeasy one in North Carolina. Ooh. They had like bacon and whiskey together somehow, which I wouldn't put together. But I mean, I like bacon and I like whiskey. So, I mean, put I'm game to together. try. Yeah. Hey, I'm, just, I'm, I'm game to try for America. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually a speakeasy in Las Vegas. Um, I think it's called 1408 or something like that. It's inside the Mandalay Bay. You have to know where to find it because it's actually hidden in the Mandalay Bay. And they do all different types of old fashions and different bourbon type drinks. And, and that includes one with coffee in it. And nice. one with chocolate in it, and one with maple bacon in it. And, She's getting excited. And 
you have to have a reservation. But suddenly it sounds like a milkshake. Yeah. Well, Coffee, chocolate, maple milkshake sounds really good to me right now. That would be delicious. Well, also so before we start talking about the book, since we've gotten sidetracked and we're like 40 minutes <laughs> in talking about beer and booze and fr like, I'm having fun. I'm liking this new format. But let's pause for a moment while we shamelessly shill for the woman this time. What is taking the night? There's the lady lead who comes from a secret island to live in the big city as the daughter of a mafia underboss. Add a vigilante who goes after the more unsavory bits of family business. He helps her out of a spot of trouble. From there, the stakes and the body count only go up. Taking the Night by J.F. Posthumus. Narrated by Terry K. Job. Available on Amazon. All right. So, um, you know, murder, mayhem. It seemed to fit the previous discussion. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm great with murder and mayhem. We call those <laughs> Thursdays here. Oh, yeah. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, let me throw the cover up real quick. I'm going to start talking about the books. I'm not going to be able to leave these up as long because I thought they were a bigger pixel count. And these just look tiny. They say size doesn't matter, but it's not working for me here. I I can get you bigger images if I'd have realized I would have gotten them the. I thought I had bigger, but apparently I need to check the pixel counts. Yeah, I, I, those said. are the the four hundred pixel wide ones that I use for all my website stuff. So I'm not making everybody's Facebook and Twitter slow down because I've got this you know four meg file, which probably well, doesn't slow them down much anymore with the with most people's download speed. But I I started doing websites in. Uh, 93, I think was my first website, something like that. And when we first started making websites, we were like, there shall be no, nothing in this website that gets us over a total of 50 K like the images, the, 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 whatever, um, uh, backgrounds, um, all that has to be under 50 K because download speed bandwidth. Yeah, different back then. And I still got that in my head because I, I built boatloads of websites very early on. I um, I was helping my dad. He actually did a bunch of websites for the state of Kansas. Um, he was working for Boeing, and his hobby was to drive around to places like Anthony and to um, eat at the restaurant, try their chicken fried steak, um, grade it on the number of shirt stains he would get in that, that meal, and then do a do kind of the wikipedia version of the town like then this is long before wikipedia existed so like for at one point in like 95 or 96 kansas had by far the most highest percentage of their towns on the web because he would just go do it and the state library grabbed his stuff and and hired him on and basically boeing paid his salary out as a charity and he got to do he got to go eat chicken fried steaks and make Boeing money with Boeing benefits for the state of Kansas. That's a pretty nice. Good, I, I'd do that. So. That is definitely not a bad way to go. Nobody pays me to eat. Probably a good thing. <laughs> I'll pay you to drink water. And now you're just messing with me. <laughs> it ain't going to be much. The covers, I have to say, are brilliant. They're done by... Um, J. Caleb Clark of J. Caleb Designs. 
uh, he is just an amazing artist. And and yeah, it's a shame I didn't get you, didn't think to get you the the high res versions. Um, and and on the front there, um, so you want to talk about my head getting blown away? I mean, just exploding in oh my godness. Um, I've I've had the pleasure to publish several of Glenn Cook's Black Company stories in the anthologies that I have edited over the last few years. And um, Glenn's a great dude, and, and I was loving working with him. And one day, just sort of out of the blue, um, he said, well, I bought a Lake Most Deep, and I it's a damn fine read. And the guy, kind of one of the foundational private eye fantasy guys in the genre and you know foundational and grimdark too like for him to say that to me my head just went kaboom totally gone and and i mentioned it to chris kennedy and chris is like we're putting that on the front cover well he did say i could use it you're right we're putting it on the front cover yes chris <laughs> but i that was really one of the best moments i've ever had in this whole writing career so Thank you, Glenn Cook. Nice. He is one of my favorite writers. I love the Garrett PI series, and I love the the um, Black <laughs> Company. Um, it's just if if you if you want something grim uh, and 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 cynical, it doesn't get much better than the Black Company series, honestly. And I yet, got this. You still root for the characters, which a lot of times grim and cynical doesn't means you don't necessarily like the characters, but you're still rooting for for all of them as well along the way. Yeah, I was able to grab the one from your Facebook real quick, which is the slightly bigger one. It's not oh, okay. perfect, but, but it's a little bit better. Yeah. Um, I do like the art, though. I mean, it was well put together. It's a combination of of a look of a painting with the um, kind of the photo manipulation that's popular right now. So you did a good job with your cover. Yeah, he does amazing stuff. Uh, he's done a lot of the covers for a bunch of Chris Kennedy stuff. He's one of our regular artists, and uh, we're really lucky to have him. Um, JCalebDesign.com, is his, and um, he's got a whole boatload of stuff. Dude does not let uh, grass grow under his feet. Um, he's so, a really nice guy. So the, the Facebook listed as the Firehall Sagas, which yes. is what I thought it was. On the bottom of a Lake Most Deep, it says Edward Saga. So what's well, the story with that? So Firehall Sagas is the world. And Sagas is not a misprint. It is not. It, there are more. There's more than one saga. Um, there's a, right now two series that I've got that will be coming out over the next year. Uh, one series is the Edward Saga. And these are the fantasy private eye um, novels that I was talking about earlier. I first started writing the Lake Most Deep thinking I was going to write epic fantasy. I was going to be, I was going to write Tolkien, right? Like I was going to do my best to do Tolkien and Eddings and, and, and uh, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin and, you know, Elizabeth Moon and all of these great influences that I have. I was, I was going to um, emulate them. And the funny thing happened on the way to writing the story. I happened to be rereading Raymond Chandler and Robert B. Parker's Spencer series. And I realized 30,000 words into it that I was writing um, a Spencer novel uh, in a Tolkien version. Of, and I, I chose to set it in, in the Balkans because I had done an archaeological dig there. So I at least had an image of this of, the, of, of kind of the area. And in fact, Akrita is sort of my fantasy representation of the town of Oakrid uh, in 
um, Macedonia, and uh, which is a really neat town. I had the pleasure to visit. And so um, I was like, well, I've got this fantasy private eye thing, or I got this fantasy setting, and I got the private eye, but that actually sounds like fun. So I went ahead and said, heck with it, I'll write it. And then I, I've, I've written three and almost done with my fourth in that series. But I really liked the world I had created. Um, I had created it to, to do epic fantasy. I had created it to, with the big broad scale, with, with realms. And, and, and realms is a good way to use it because one of my big influences are the, are the Forgotten Realms books. Um, I love the Forgotten Realms as a D&D setting. As far as I'm concerned, there's no better gaming setting than the Forgotten Realms. It's just so in-depth, and, and they did so many awesome things with it. And huge influence to me. So I was building a world that I would have epic-style stories and not simply just set up Private Eye in this, this one little this one city. And so I have written a second series within this called Kryzen Saga, um, which is uh, an epic fantasy series. And then I'll probably write, a once I finish with that, as I said before, I like to have conclusions. I, I'm on, uh, I've got four books in that ready to go, and I, I will be writing a fifth. And I think that's going to be a six-book series. Uh, we'll see. The characters do what they want, and I don't really have control over the characters. Um, so it could be. It could be seven. I, I don't know for sure. But in any case, there are multiple different saga stories within the Firehall sagas, which is one of the reasons why it's sagas, plural. So so in most um, crime novels, the, the whodunits and whatnot, the cozy mysteries, there's always the element of modern forensics to solve the crime, right? Because unless somebody has witnesses, you have to. How do you get around that in a fantasy setting? Do you use magic? Absolutely. Um, Randall Garrett, who is, who created the Lord Darcy series. Um, this is where I pulled this from. Um, Garrett PI by Glenn Cook, by the way, the Garrett is a reference to Randall Garrett. And if you get a chance to read Randall Garrett, he's one of the best short story writers of all time. Uh, you don't know him. He's not, he's not well known, um, because basically he drank himself to death. Um, he was a, as flawed a man as one could, could talk about but he was really innovative and um to put it this way he would periodically go to campbell not exactly known for his generosity he'd go to campbell and say i need a hundred dollars for beer money i'll give you a story thursday and campbell would give him the money knowing that garrett would give him a story and the story would be really good there is a collection of his short stories. Um, if you go out to Amazon and look for the best of Randall Garrett. Now, this is a little tricky because there's two versions. There's the paperback version, which is really hard to get. Uh, I usually get them on abebooks.com, but occasionally you can get them on Amazon. The paperback version is different from the e-version. But the paperback version has about 15 of, of the most memorable short stories you will ever read in science fiction and fantasy. Um, literally, there are stories in there that I can't not remember the ending much as I try um, because it's just that powerful. Um, amazing stuff. But anyway, he wrote a series of stories called the uh, Lord Darcy stories. And they're basically Sherlock, or not sure, yeah, Sherlock Holmes and a world that has magic and um, 
different different universe. It's set in the 1960s, but it's a different 1960s because Richard the First didn't die, and the Plantagenet Empire still exists. And he's going up against the the Poles with the Polish Empire, which is the big European power, which I find kind of cool too. Um, and Darcy is the chief investigator for um, basically Northern France, and they are fantastic mysteries. They are the some of the best mysteries you'll ever have. And within it, part of one of Darcy's assistants is a forensic sorcerer who's literally doing magic tests to see for example they has he has a magic test to see whether a bullet matches was fired by a gun so there's your modern ballistic uh thing but it's done through magical properties magical principles that they've developed and he he did a fantastic job of of creating uh, usable ways for magic to serve in the forensic uh manner uh one of the most creative writers I've ever I've ever seen, and, and like I say, it's a shame he wasn't ever. Like I don't know, it, it, maybe his demons were so much that he, if he'd have, if he'd have been as stable as say Asimov and produ- as prolific as Asimov or Heinlein, that maybe he never he's not even he's not as creative. I, I don't know, but and he wrote a bunch to be fair, but not the novels. Not the, he was just a regular in the in the the pulp magazines. Sorry, I so, get off. He's he, uh, on Garrett. He's one of my favorite writers. Um, but yeah, he he uses forensic sorcery, and I just sort of lifted that whole cloth from him. And so, uh, Stabby, yeah. you like you like the horror. So, do you read the mysteries too? Occasionally, um, I have to really get into it within the first chapter. Otherwise, I will put the book down and never come back to it. It's, it's really unfortunate that I do own um, a few books that were, um, I was told that they were amazing. They're so amazing. And I wish I could get through them. But a couple of them, I, I haven't even gotten through the first like three pages. And I'm just like, I get bored and I put the book down and then I walk away. And next thing I know, it's three months later. So it, it's really, it depends. It depends. I will tell you that as a publisher, if someone sends me a submission, if I haven't gotten into the character and started rooting for the character by the end of the first paragraph or first chapter, and assuming that's a normal length chapter, not a really long one, but if I haven't done it within the first one to two percent of the novel, I, it's a no. It just um, that's it has to connect with me. Um, if I, if in the first two pages of first two pages of a short story i haven't really wanted the character to uh, root for chances are unlikely that i'll choose it for one of my anthologies so i'm right there with you and i think most most readers are um hey hon what was that alien book which one the one that was in the backseat of the car for like a year Oh, the alien romance stuff? Yeah, married to an alien and love with an alien. Something like that. That's in the backseat of the car. Is it still in the backseat of the car? (laughs) I I even took it to the beach with me because I was like, I love reading on the beach. We live half a mile. So I was like, okay, maybe if like 
they're out boogie boarding. I'm on the beach. I'll sit down. I'll read it. And I still get through like the first three pages. And next thing I know, I'm out on a boogie board because forget that book. There's something about it. I cannot pick that book back up. So you've, you've told us, I wasn't sure. Cause I know, you know, a lot of women like to watch the how to murder your husband and get away with it shows. So I wondered if this was up your alley. I mean, I, maybe I it's mean, cool crime, but you know. I I'm mean, technically, all you have to do is you dig eight feet straight down. I mean, I mean, no. Um, yeah, I like mystery books. <laughs> Just to let you know, if you ever get invited to a barbecue by my wife and I'm not there, don't eat the pork. <laughs> you got it. Good to know. That's some, what was it? Uh, fried green tomato stuff right there. <laughs> well, and that's a running joke with my wife and I, which is even worse now that we live in a mortuary. We haven't been to our basement yet because the only way to the basement is this terrifying elevator that I'm not willing to take. Um, the inspector went down, and, and that's great. The, the foundation's good and everything. There was a rumor that I got told, and I have no idea. I have no way to confirm this, that uh, that his shtick, the guy who owned this place, his shtick was that there was a crematorium in the basement and that he could do the crematorium, you know, the cremating, like in-house, so to speak. And a lot of, a lot of places sort of can't do that. So, um, my wife so is I like... Lived... <laughs> I lived in a house in Illinois. It was built in 1922. And it's two-story and then it has a basement. And they were like, oh, it was built in 1922. That's why there's no closet space because people didn't have that many shoes. People didn't have that much clothes. I'm like, well, I do now. And I would go down to the basement because that's where the washer and dryer is. It's a really weird basement. And then... Um, I'm like, why does that look like a false wall? And so I'm walking around and I'm poking and I'm prodding at it. And this little thing, when I'm poking and prodding, this little thing flips out. And I pulled it down and it opened the door. And I'm like, okay, so it is a false wall. And I look inside and there's just this little tiny chair for a little kid in the corner. And I'm like, nope, 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 nope. I never did laundry in that house. I never did laundry in that house. It's like that Geico commercial. It's like that Geico commercial where they're going up to the attic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Starby, do you yeah. believe in ghosts? Yeah. All right, we're going to have to do a panel on all the be wee beasties and demons and such just to have a conversation because you're getting a little too animated and having too much fun. And Nick is now oh, blowing up our, yeah, our side <laughs> chat with all the uh, supernatural memes. <laughs> it came across, I think, Facebook or Twitter. I can't remember today. And I really have to hunt for it. But it was this world map that had every, like, as many different cultures, creepy, crawly, monster, cryptid. Um, and I really meant to save it, but it was on my phone and I was distracted. I'll have to hunt, hunt it down. Um, because what a great source material for all sorts of fantasy stories um that could be um i dig it as soon as you said there was a creepy elevator that went down to your basement i'm like honey pack the bags we're doing a road trip to anthony kansas and call the <laughs> Winchesters. 
Because you most know, of Supernatural is in Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas. It's it's all there and kind of like the yeah, center of and and Illinois. It sucks so much. Even the dead don't want to uh, mess with it, so they're like, yeah. So yeah, yeah you can uh, Lawrence, uh, which is oh yeah, where I flunked out of college. So that actually look at you now. Work for a bookstore and and books. You're doing well. Nobody yeah, I was just. Really I was thinking it was so bad that, but then if it was so bad, they wouldn't want to. They would want to leave. So my joke just didn't work. Why did you stop me from that, Nick? Dang it! Oh, All right, so I didn't meet you till two thousand five on a weary road in some south. Yeah, <laughs> but, but we got we got to trot in places that are ancient and archaic. Did you ever make it down to southern uh, Iraq to the uh, to the monument to Lawrence of Arabia? No, but I did get to see an Acadian head. It was a lost wax. Um, nice. Run. Uh, it's in the museum. And um, and I was going through art school when I got deployed, when I got called up. And we were talking about that because it was like ancient history and, and stuff like that. And they're like, yeah, there's a lost wax Acadian sculpture. It's, it's a head and it's at the museum in uh, Baghdad. So... On patrol, we were happened to, just happened to be going near where the museum is, and I talked to the uh, the convoy commander. I'm like, "Hey, can we stop here real quick?" He's like, "Why?" And I'm like, "Well, there's uh, a piece there of historical significance. I want to make sure it's okay." He's like, <laughs> he's like, "What?" In my brain, I was like, "I'm going to steal it." I'm gonna do some <laughs> So we go in there, we check security, everything's fine. Nobody's touched this thing, probably because it just weighs a ton. And he's like, so how did you know about this? I'm like, oh, well, when I got the call to, to deploy to Iraq, I was in my uh, my junior year of uh, art school. And he just looks at me and shakes, shakes his head and says, you freaking nerd. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that tracks. So that tracks. Lethal one, but still a nerd. Yeah, we um the fun fact is so Iraq is known Mesopotamia in general, which is the whole region, is known for having the most roads of any uh country because when sandstorms will go through, they'll cover whole roads and it's cheaper just to pour a new one on top of wherever the dirt is than it is to, to you know to dig it back up. Uh and when we were there, they actually had some Roman roads get exposed in a sandstorm, and those were they used to call the sandstorms the wall of death, or sometimes the whispering death because it just killed the old and the the really young. Uh, and they actually ended up finding uh, a cache of World War One Italian rifles, because I remember it was all over the paper, the Stars and Stripes, about like the English troops that found it said it's ours, it's going to our museum. The Italian government's like, well, no, it's still stamped with property of the Italian government. Of course, that government doesn't exist anymore because you know revolutions happen, and uh, and of course America was like, but we want it too. Because they were still in their factory settings, the old uh, the M1 or the not M1 the uh, the old uh, World War One carbines the Italians used for their bicycle troops. So I, I, I guess really, that, that's that's fun. Yeah, well, they were they were innovative in design. They weren't really that functional. They jammed a lot, but they were innovative in that they tried intentionally in an age of wooden stocks to make these lighter. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it was kind of interesting. So I got to see some of the history. Um, of that too. So it, it's the cool thing when you get to stand in those footsteps. I didn't get to go to the Baghdad Museum though. I'm, I feel jealous now. That was really cool, but it was only like half full. They moved a lot of stuff out during the invasion. Yeah, that so, makes sense. But uh, all like, so the Acadian head is just heavy as hell. They're, they're not going to move that thing. They were going to have to knock yeah. down walls. 
and like yeah. airlift it out. Is that an Acadian like, head in your pocket? Or you're just happy to see me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, speaking of the head, in, speaking of the head, in, well, now that's a horrible segue. Uh, <laughs> how about the Firehall saga? Tell us about the Lake Most Deep and its sequel, and, and where you see this universe going, where specifically oh, this series. Oh yeah, the reason we're actually here, right? Um, <laughs> Nikki's like sending me the side chats. Get back on track, Jr. Stop it, <laughs> you nerd. No, I'm sending. I'm sending him gifts of whips. <laughs> so, like, dude, get get back on track, man. Looks on him. I like that shit. Wait it's a minute. A four hour hour. You're kind of doomed, Nick, because I'm. If anything was to describe me, I'm the dog from Up. Uh, squirrel. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, Firehall Sagas. Yeah, uh, just it, it's um, the first series, the Edward series. Uh, as I say, they've they've become private eye novels. Um, I didn't anticipate it, but uh, that's that's where we go. Now, this the one that I'm writing, spoiler alert, uh, the one that I'm writing, Farewell My Ugly, starts out small, but it's actually turning into a um, a, a bit of a, um, a larger, more epic. It's got a little bit of epic touch to it. Um, and the first one is he's coming into town and kind of gets wrapped up in this kidnapping and and the characters shifted everything on me. I thought it was going to be a who done it, and it turns out to be a why done it. Uh, um, the um, there's a this is a, this is a bit of a spoiler, but you get it fairly early in the novel. Uh, he goes to interview one of the crime lords of the city, and I had had him interview one of the other ones um, about the mystery. Um, so it was kind of one of those things where I need to have this interview with this bad guy her name is katarina she turns out to be one of the most uh innovative characters in the entire universe um she is just a really fun character to write and she takes me on all sorts of different places and this is a perfect example he's just going to go interview her i as as a writer i'm like okay we're going to go do this scene nothing's really going to happen because but he has to do it because if i'm a reader and i know there are two crime wards and he's interviewed one like, why didn't he go to the other one? At least try. Like, if the crime war doesn't see him, that's fine. But, you know, he's, at least try. So I have him go do it. And I'm, I'm writing the scene. And my fingers start typing almost by themselves. And it's, wait, the, the character w wasn't kidnapped. You killed her and took her place and then cast darkness and walked out. And the the bad guy character smirks and and doesn't say yes but of course the reader knows that she said yes essentially and it stops being who done we now know who murdered the girl but why does katarina do it um ties into a whole bunch of the political setup in this town and and the the varying conflicts within this town and it just became suddenly a fairly straightforward murder mystery to a furball of a whole bunch of things that was a lot of fun to write. And that that's all Katarina's doing. It really wasn't something I was consciously aware of. Um, book two, um, the eyes of a doll, which released on the day we're recording this. Uh, thanks again for having me uh, um, on all of this. I really appreciate it. But book two, Edward is getting ready to leave town, but one of the people that uh, he's staying with uh, at the, the tavern he stays at, says we went on a picnic and my daughter forgot her doll um can you go get it i don't have time to go get it can you go get it and he's and, and edward the main character's like sure going and getting this little girl's doll what could go wrong well it's a hundred thousand you know ninety thousand word novels something has to go wrong so there you go it's um and uh that becomes 
that one was written because, as I said, I wrote the wrote the first one not consciously aware I was writing a Raymond Chandler novel. And the second one, I was like, okay, I'm going to write a Raymond Chandler novel. Uh, what's iconic? And I started running down iconic things, and I the the term doll came to mind because it's such an iconic word in the in the Raymond Chandler lexicon. But a doll doesn't have the same meaning in the in the medieval lexicon. And I was like, okay, so how can I use the word doll and create a mystery? And so this is this was my attempt to say, I'm going to have a murder mystery. It's going to involve all sorts of action in swords and sorcery, and it's all going to start around a doll. Hmm, how do I do that? So that was my my fun start to it, and it it turned out better than I expected because I was able to then, um, here is a spoiler alert, I was able, able to then wrap in some hidden usages or some hidden implications of sort of the, the 40s and 50s usage of the word doll. I had, I had some stuff in there, which maybe I'm the only one subtle enough to, or maybe I put it in too subtle and I'm the only one who notices, but I, I, I did stick some of that in. Uh, book three, which is coming out a couple of weeks or a few weeks after this is this is getting shown, is called Where Now the Writer. And I actually had a had a plan for that one. Like I'm gonna write this story. And that's that's actually the root of the one I'm working on, Farewell My Ugly. But I was gonna write this story, but I can't do it because he's wounded at the end of uh the eyes of a doll and he needs to be at full strength to be able to do the things that I needed to do in that story. And I also wanted it to happen like where now the writer starts literally the day after the events in the eyes of a doll. And it, it kind of has to because of some of the connections um, there. So that changed that story into something that was completely different. Um, I was asked by a buddy to kill her in an interesting way. So I did. And so that's at the heart of that. Um, and so those are the, the first three of that. Farewell, My Ugly is uh, uh, I get into horse racing. It's a bit of my homage to Dick Francis. I don't know if you guys read Dick Francis, but he does these great horse racing novels of mystery and action. Fantastic writer. One of the best at pacing action there is and so this is my homage to him it's it's centered around horse racing in the empire so it's got the hippodrome stuff um and then i threw in a little bit of the nika rebellion from 532 and and all sorts of stuff because the where he's at is sort of an my analog of the byzantine empire uh and then so that's those four that's the edward saga um the other one, which has four novels ready to go, um, the Kryzen Saga is epic fantasy, pure epic fantasy. And uh, so it's got much broader scale. Um, the, uh, in, in a variety, more variety of characters. Um, the, uh, back to the killing my friends part, which is, you know, who doesn't want to, it's one of the best things about being a writer, you get to kill your friends. I had a buddy who had a stroke and as a fundraiser, I, I said, I'd kill you in a fun way in one of the books. Uh, if you paid him X money and I'd kill you into a, in a really awesome way. And your character would be fairly important if you pay him a lot more. And it turned out it worked really well. I got nearly $800 from this. And so I got to kill a bunch of my friends. In fact, I, I, I got to a point where I, had, I built all the characters and I, I, I realized, Oh crap. I'm getting close to the end of the book. 
I got way too many of my friends that are still alive. So I have this chapter where I, where I, they're running in a chase situation and they're, they're basically sort of sacrificing themselves so the next group can continue on. And so it's like, yep, I stabbed this guy in the face. That's what he wanted. Okay. We're done here. And, and died heroically. Yes. got that one and, and go down the list. And, uh, uh, that chapter is for, for my friends who know though they're in it, it's just like, dude. So it's like the red wedding writ large. It, it, it was sort of, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, and some of those characters actually continued on into later books because they had paid the extra amount. And uh, uh, I, I gave them all, every one of them seems to enjoy the way I, I, uh, I, I killed them. Uh, they all died some... heroically, um, which I'm a big fan of heroic deaths, honestly. Let's be honest. I love standing up at the bridge and, and, and defending what's behind you. Uh, those kind of stories really resonate with me. And there's a lot of that in the epic fantasy is they're facing an ancient evil that's in my universe that is, you know, coming back. Uh, I realize that's a common trope, but it's a common trope because it works. So you mentioned that it was an analog for the Byzantine Empire. So do you have the Janissaries and the Viking guards and all of that uh, built into the world as well? Uh, in fact, the whole story for Edward to go down to this place is for him to join the Imperial Guard. Um, okay. and that, that is his, he, um, so he comes, we go back to the, the historian side of me, write what you know, he is, uh, from my Anglo-Saxon area analog. So I had to put it in there. Uh, let's get back to writing influences real quickly. Uh, cause you know, I haven't had any long winded answers yet in the show. So, <laughs> um, Guy Gavriel okay is another one of my inspiring writers. Uh, he is an amazing writer. Uh, I love the way he paces. It's a little bit slower pacing, but it's 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 um, the way he does. There are a couple of people, a couple of uh, universes that are paced a little slower, but benefit by it, which I think is really hard to do. It's easier to do things fast. Um, if you do martial arts, you know that if you do things fast, you can stay in balance easier, even though you're not really in balance. Um, if you do things slow, you're forcing your muscles to stay in balance, and it's really harder. Um, you guys, I'm sure, know all this really well. Um, and 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 I think it's harder to write slow-paced stuff and keep your audience in it, like you're, you're talking about, because it's easy to get distracted. And Guy Gabriel K is a little bit a little bit slower-paced, but it's so good, and you so, you you're just sucked into it. And he basically wrote Europe. Like he didn't, he changed the names, but the map is Europe. Um, it's, he added magic um, and it's Serantium is, is, Byzant, is uh, Byzantium. And it, I was like, well, when I started writing, like, okay, so I need to make all these new names and these new cultures and all these things. And I'm like, I'm a medieval historian. I have a you know sort of a minor specialty in in medieval Russia. I have all these Anglo-Saxon things. Uh, I had contemplated doing Byzantine naval history as my focus as uh, a doctoral student. Um, I have read poetry, medieval or poetry from probably two dozen cultures, and love it. And why am I recreating all the wheel when I have all these cultures with, and I, I like having one thing about being in the SCA is you get used to material culture. So 
I talk about what what things are made from all the time and food and and all these different recipes and stuff like that. And like making all of that up from scratch, kind of tedious and boring, I think, for the reader. But having someone go, oh, I can look this recipe up. You say something, Savapi and Soman, and you know, I say that it's a recipe from uh, the Balkans. Somebody can go look it up. It's a pretty tasty recipe, by the way. So I was like, but can I get away with it? And then I was like, well, Tolkien kind of did it with Rohan. And then Guy Gabriel K did it with his world. Like, I'm not anywhere in their class, but I don't see why I can't. And so that's that's how I started that. So all of my realms have some sort of analog. And speaking of realms, the Forgotten Realms has a lot of that too built into it, of course. And uh, But I have a Byzantine analog and a German analog and a Russian analog and a, a Norse analog and, and Old English and uh, Celtic and Sub-Saharan Africa and Indian subcontinent and Basque. One of my realms, one of my bigger realms is Basque culture, which I find really an interesting culture. Uh, and I built uh, a neat um, country there where the political divisions aren't territory or religion or anything like that. They're um, uh, chivalric orders. Um, I thought that would be a fun way to do orders of chivalry was in that area was to create boatloads of orders of chivalry and have that be the political structure as opposed to the normal ones. I, I play around maybe too much, but I have a lot of fun world building. And anyway, that just on down the line. Edward comes from the Anglo-Saxon analog. He's broken an oath, or at least he perceives himself to have broken an oath, and he is lost and cast out of his home. He is a trained warrior. He's had experience. Um, he's fought in a number of, of larger battles and skirmishes. Um, he's seen a goodly amount of the world as he's traveled. Uh, he's had some other experiences taught to him. He had a tutor who was uh, more of a scholar than anything else. So he's got a variety of skills that you you know where they come from. And he comes to, to the Empire hoping to become part of the Imperial Guard. And things happen because otherwise it's a really boring story if nothing happens. And speaking of um, nothing happening, um, well, that's a horrible segue. I got to get better at these segues. <laughs> so this is what we learned, Madam Stabby, in the Army when you're a sergeant. You always find a way to blame the officers. It's just what you do, right? But uh, so, you know, we're, we're running up on the clock. And uh, so it was before we, we wrap this up, was there anything about this world that you wanted to tell us that we, we didn't cover that they absolutely need to know? Just that uh, my writing style is, is very character-based. Um, I create fun characters, characters that I want to, I want to hear their story. And then I put the characters in position and I, and honestly, most of my writing is, is dungeon and I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons with myself and it's kind of creepy if you think about it that way. But as the writer, I'm the DM and the characters I'm role-playing them shifting in, you know, which, which care, what each character is doing. And that means I really think I've got some really fun characters that I'm proud of. Um, Katarina is the sort of the most, um, memorable because she does whatever the hell she wants and sometimes that means she is as chaotic evil and as deadly and murderous as anybody out there um and sometimes that's her doing the awful good thing because it just suited her mood at the moment and it's kind of a and then i built a really neat 
relationship between her and Edward at this point, where at this point they they don't have a romantic relationship and 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 they never will, but they're tied together and and it's it's been fun to create that. Um, so that's my favorite part is creating fun characters. And I think that if you read it, you'll you'll find characters that you you relate to. Um, even some of the bad guys who you know are doing bad guy bad guy stuff and and no no um, no bones about it, but they're interesting. All right, so we have two questions for you before we wrap this up. First, what is the answer to the riddle? Well, I'll go down the line. Um, love have I waged, war have I wooed. So that's a reference to Venus and Mars. But first I'm fast, fated to fiery tale. That's Mercury. I was more and then less than beyond counting. Nine planets, then eight when they said Mercury wasn't or Pluto wasn't a planet. And now we have all these exoplanets that we we've seen. Um, I am at your feet. That's the Earth over your head. That's all the other planets. Uh, rings I've been given uh, for great journeys. Well, there's uh, Saturn. And I wrote this riddle on the day William Herschel, Herschel discovered Uranus. So give today's answer inspired by lowest humor. There's Uranus. And, and there you go. The answer is planets. Okay. I would not have guessed that in a million years. All right. Now, the last question. This is very important, right? Because we started with the booze talk. We're going to finish with the booze talk. All Your right. main character in the Firehall sagas was specifically a lake most deep, that, uh, the Edward sagas. How does he drink his liquor? Like, what's his drink of choice? Ragnar, the guy who runs the tavern that he stays at, makes the best brown ale. Okay. Just know that pale ale stuff. That's garbage. Uh, I see. I'm a pale ale drinker. I will add that I, that one of the common drinks in there is rakia, which, if you've been to the Balkans, is a neat uh, brandy that they have that I can't find here. It's it's made from I've a variety it. of fruits, but rakia is a really neat um, brandy like uh, alcohol. It's okay. pretty good. I had it in a hotel in Lviv. Yep. Okay. Okay. It, it, it's, um, it's pretty good stuff. Um, it's dangerous because it's oh yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah. you you're sitting at the bar. Next thing you know, you can't walk, but you got a room at the hotel, so you're good to go. Yeah. The closest, the elevator. Yeah. The the closest I had to something like that was uh, I had a friend of mine on a study abroad in Scotland, and we had moonshine here. They have the equivalent where they're making their own whiskey, and it just came in a clear brownish opaque bottle that just had a white label that had the guy's name. And uh, in the location of his his home, it didn't have any like branding. It just said it didn't even have the proof on it. And it was the smoothest booze you would ever drink. So you don't realize you're getting schnockered because it was uh, twice as strong because he, he made it to be diluted with like beverages. But he didn't want to not get drunk when he mixed it with his Coke or whatever. Right. So he made it twice as strong to solve his problems. Because then he cut his calories. He could get drunk on less soda. I'm like, that's big sense to me. Makes perfect sense to me. So it was, but it was so smooth. You didn't know you were, and before you know it, you can't stand back up. <laughs> Where did my legs go? <laughs> I, I will point out, scotch is low carb. Oh, I see, see, I'm digging that. But anyway, all right. We appreciate you, uh, you, you riding through my nerdingness, and uh, I'm gonna hear it in the after show from Nick. Like, no, nobody but you and three other people care about this stuff, Jr. That's not true. I'm you sorry. I'm totally a bad. I, I'm such a nerd. 
<laughs> no, it's a good thing. We celebrate that type of stuff. Um, like we've had multiple guests, myself included. Like if you pick the right topic for the right person, that show will run long. You know, and it's not a bad thing. I we embr- embrace all fandom here. So like, never be sorry for your fandom. That's my big quote. Never, it's true. Oh, I'm putting that on a t-shirt. No, never be sorry quote. for your it fandom. True. You get you get to like whatever the hell you like. I mean, yeah. honestly, if the guys that used to pick on me that watched every NFL and MLB game and wore their jersey or their favorite player and give me crap about cosplaying, no, I don't think so. You're a larper too, bud. And, and you know what's funny is I'm that dude with the NFL and, and college football. I'm like, NFL starts on Thursday? Or, uh, week, or college starts on Thursday and NFL week after? Uh, go me. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm an NFL and NHL guy. I love hockey and football. That's what I grew up with. Baseball! What did you say? And I, I do enjoy, she, she goes, baseball! Because we live 20 minutes from uh, Petco Park where the Padres oh, play. okay. So we go to the games quite frequently, at least the cheap when they're cheap tickets. So like we like all kinds of sports. We like all kinds of fandoms. So like enjoy what you, you know, love, man, and, and be proud of it. Do you know JP Chandler or James Chandler? I think I know he lives, a James Chandler, yeah. What? I know a James Chandler, yeah. Writer? Uh, I think so. Might be the same guy. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say I think he lives up in the I, I realize that the the San Francisco area, just in general, is just as humongous. Oh, you wait, you said Petco, so you're San Diego area. San Diego, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry, SoCal instead of NoCal. Okay, I enjoyed San Diego when I went there once, but it was just as a tourist. And but I'm a carrier a ship geek, and so I had to. You, you want to see me be especially geeky? Walking around the Midway was just and oh, that I love that place. And and they had one of the uh, I think it was the Reagan across the bay at Coronado um, getting. Uh, uh, it was that is moved now. We have the uh, the Carl Vincent. Yeah, the Carl Vincent. Yeah, this was 2016 when when I was there. 27. Yeah, 2016 when I was there. I was actually on a cruise. We'd gone through the Panama Canal, and I wrote nearly all of well, I wrote about half of uh, the Eyes of a Doll going through the Panama Canal and on that, on that cruise. Oh, nice. Okay. Now I'm going to get mad at myself because I'm running long, but it, it's, it's awesome to have you here. JR. Thank you. All right. So before we wrap this up, we have you have to tell people how they can stalk you on the internet. And I, I mean, follow, follow. Um, stalking sounds so predatory, but link all of it in the show notes, but can you tell people how they can find you? Yeah, uh, robhowell.org, uh, firehallsagas.com. Uh, I am actually in the midst of merging those to the firehallsagas.com page, so go there first. It has my author bio and everything like that, and I'll be adding uh, some of my other uh, writing stuff there. Uh, I am Rodri2112, as you can see on Twitter. Uh, Rodri is my SCA name, and, I, and you might have noticed I'm a Rush fan, so there's my there's my name. Um so I'm Rotary2112 pretty much across the internet. Uh, Patreon slash uh, Rotary2112 dot um, Patreon.com slash Rotary2112. There I am uh, Facebook.com Rotary2112. There uh, I'm on MeWe. I have no idea what the link is. I'll be honest. I don't spend much time on MeWe uh, anymore. I tried it, but the, the interaction just level isn't enough. Um, 
So, uh, but if you send me something, I will see the, the, um, notification. Uh, so I'm there to, um, mostly, um, I'm, I'm sending out my stuff on my blog, which is at robhowell.org slash blog. And then I'm also, uh, I, I also put that out via my mailing list. So if you go to firehallsagas.com right up at the top, is a way to sign on the mailing list and, Get my weirdness every week if you can handle it. All right. That will all be linked in the show notes. Never you fear if you couldn't write that fast. Um, and you can find us on our link tree at linktree, um, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, linktree backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, linktree backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. We link to all the things, the bitch shoot, the rumble, the Twitter, the email, the Facebook group. All of the things. So you can find us at S at SF underscore fantasy underscore show at Sierra Foxtrot underscore underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com, but send all hate mail to Madam Stabby, who we really do need to add you to our link tree so they can find you with all the hate mail. Although if you cry from what she responds back, like you just got to give us your man card. Cause yeah, I mean, if you can't, if you're going to dish it out and can't take it, what a bitch. Yeah, basically. Right? So, That's uh, on you, dog. That's on you. So we've got a Facebook group, backslash groups, backslash Blasters and Blaze podcast, where all the shenanigans happen, and we have the conversations after the episode if you want to join us. Um, and, of course, you can find us on our website at anchor.fm, backslash Blasters, dash, and dash, Blades. Again, anchor.fm, backslash Blasters, tack, and tack, Blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help support the show, keep the lights on, um, or you can support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-host nick garber stocked with the best bladed proof vest that money can buy because we don't want his wife to kill him not without you know having video evidence to to make extra money on and, and uh, a life insurance policy in place and she's like Loki. She's gonna want to. She's gonna want to be. She wants it televised. So I'm gonna be wearing my shirt that says "I'm fine" with a big chunk out of the side as she's stabbing <laughs> me. So what episode is that? I, I let me clear my calendar. actually, I'm I'm actively working against it. Actually, October I should mention uh, that I have a book coming out on Halloween. Uh, another horror. My first ever thing that I ever wrote was this horror piece that I stuck in the middle of a con uh, panel or a con program. I was running a con and it, the, the program felt light to me. And I wrote and it it's, oh, it's so bad. We had CJ Cherry and we had Joe Lansdale as our guests. And I'm, I, I look back and, oh, my God, what was I uh, thinking? But uh, nice. that's actually been re-edited and is coming out uh, on October 31st. All right. Uh, yeah. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and we have not been stabbed by Madam Stabby today. Uh, and we are also the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. And Nick, you infected my computer because now my mouse is hardly working. Hey, man, you brought the topic to me. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm like, look, we promised you keyboard that's what i had to bring out of service and the a doesn't work you guys need <laughs> to apologize oh i'm sorry mr fbi man we didn't mean to talk about the aliens
Nicky, I'm sorry. Kissed my ass. 